Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com Welcome back to day eight, I believe it is, of Tennis Unfiltered at the Australian Open 2024 I had to think about day eight because it's Sunday, which means it should be day seven, Calvin, but uh, of course it's not, and it is your last day in Melbourne. Um, just give me your overall impressions of the tournament. I know you weren't necessarily sure about it to begin with, but I feel like it's grown on you pretty significantly. Uh, yeah, I mean, I've enjoyed it. It's been a nice tournament. You know, it's, it's, it's a really nice. There's plenty of space. Um, the site is really nice. Um, still probably second in my charts of Grand Slams behind US Open. I um, think it's better than both French and Wimbledon for me. And I, I was talking with, with Henry about it last night, and we agreed that the reason the US Open, and I think most people tend now to agree it's, those, it's these two. Like, oh, that, that's the way it is at the minute. And I think the main reason is that the other two are just up their own asses a little bit, the French <laughs> and Wimbledon. Um, whereas these, these two tournaments feel like it's really for the fans. Um, obviously, it's for money more than anything for both of them, but they do make an effort for the fans to enjoy it a little bit more, I think, than either the French or Wimbledon, who it feels like they think it's your privilege to be there. I think also, um, you know, this is known as the Happy Slam for a reason, and they do prioritise, first of all, players, and you've obviously had the, the player-side experience, and you know they've always been known as a tournament that looks after players pretty well, and I think probably you would you would say that's true for the most part. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree, yeah, scheduling aside. So, <laughs> um, but, um, yeah, no, I agree, you know, they, they're, they're excellent with the players uh, and that kind of thing. Uh, I mean, to be fair, all the... French... Uh, Wimbledon and US Open are pretty good for the players as well, the French less so. Um, <laughs> But um, I, I, th- I think, yeah, I, I, and, and as well, you know, you can't, you can't doubt the crowds. The crowds have been excellent. That every, every court is busy. Yeah. Like, even if there's no one who you'd think... There are matches at Wimbledon and certainly the French where if there isn't really an interest in it, you can imagine there being some, you know, a lot of empty seats. Mm. Whereas, whereas here, I've seen very few, like in our doubles the other day by maybe 20 minutes into it even when it was the first doubles was, was the stand was full because they played against two Aussies 
but the second um, match was two Brits, a Portuguese and a Mexican. And again, the, the stand on that court was probably 90% full. Hmm. Um, and, and, but on the flip side, you know, there, there have been and there regularly are 80,000, 90,000 people through the gates every day in Melbourne Park, but that has disadvantages with it. And, you know, we were talking about this today and, and people will have their own experiences of going to these tournaments. You come on a middle weekend, there's not a lot of tennis to watch. Yeah, there's not. I mean, I, I woke up this got up this morning and I thought, what am I going to do? I thought, I'll come down and watch the tennis. And then when I put the order of play on, I, put, I looked who was playing at the time and I think there was only three senior matches being played. Mm. That includes sing, men's singles, women's singles, men's doubles, women's doubles. And then it went up and down between two and five, I think, for the rest of the day at any one time. But five was was a rarity I think there was five matches on at one time but other than that there's not a lot unless you want to watch the juniors and I feel that's like you know being that we're we're only just halfway through the tournament you know it's, I'm not sure about that again although the people seem pretty happy and the, the the flip side of that again is that they have four stadium courts here I think yeah. three or four or five and it means that they can get big matches on all of those and instead of the outside courts which I guess is is a good thing because it means you're playing to big crowds in the second week of a slam every match. And, and I crowds. think what's important to recognise is that only Rod Laver and Margaret Court are ticketed courts. Yeah. All the other stadiums, so John Kane, Kia, fifteen seventy three, where we watch. I think on John Kane now you have to you you have to pre book tickets though. Well, they've got a weird virtual queuing. Yeah, system, that's but, what I But heard, the majority yeah. of the stadium is is general right, admission. Right. Okay. Okay. It always used to be where Kyrgios used to play before Kyrgios actually became a serious tennis okay. player for about ten minutes. Um, and he would always play on John Kane. It was always quite rowdy, especially late at night. Yeah. I, I suppose that the the one thing I would say in terms of you know the only stuff going on outside of the stadium courts being juniors and doubles and the and you know mixed or legends or whatever is yeah. ground passes are sixty dollars today. That's about just over thirty quid. Yeah. I think most people will be quite happy to pay thirty quid yeah. for a whole day, watch a bit of junior. I mean, to be honest, you know, watching juniors, yeah, it can yeah. be a pretty high standard. Yeah, thirty quid's very good for yeah. for for, the, for this stage in the tournament, I think. And you, like you say, you could get on John Kane. The thing about John Kane, where I found weird, I, I've been on there, went on right at the start of the tournament when it was empty, and then I went on there today to watch a bit of doubles, and it, it's a huge structure for relatively few seats in there. <laughs> there's a lot of empty space in there, isn't yeah. there? Like when you You're look a long at, way from the court. Yeah, and like there's no corners on it. It's just four stands round a court. I don't know whether they built the the stadium around, or the arena around an already existing court or not, but... I mean, I think what you have to remember about, and I actually didn't really realise this until I got chatting to one of the TA people the other day, is that um, Melbourne Park is a very busy place and yeah. only three weeks of the year is it a tennis venue well, yeah, they yeah. play basketball here they've, oh, had, the, really? they've right. had the world swimming championships on Rod Laver okay. um, you okay. know they, do, they have loads of gigs at John Kane which is why it's the shape and size that right. it is okay. So okay. it's a pretty versatile place oh, I didn't realise that I, yeah. it was funny because we were only saying the other day we were sat around saying you know the site is a beautiful site and we were like it's a lot of money for three weeks of the year <laughs> well but, there you go but I guess they do make a lot of money in those three weeks that yeah, probably yeah, pro they probably do covers it you know but, but you know I think it's pretty unique among the slams in that it does makes it work for the rest yeah, of the year yeah, um, yeah. in terms of stuff that they do um, let's talk a bit more about the actual tennis that we've seen today uh, Novak Djokovic very nearly completed a triple bagel uh, he won 13 games or uh, 14 games in a row 13 I think against Adrian Manorino before he won the 14th um, he looked thoroughly delighted to have uh, to have won that I mean it kind of comes on something we mentioned the other day Calvin 
the French crowd have been a real feature of this tournament. And they were in Manorino against Djokovic. Djokovic was getting wound up about it, I think probably because he needed something to keep him going, because Adrian Manorino certainly wasn't. Um, I, I don't know, maybe the French crowd like that all over the world. I mean, France obviously is a big tennis-watching yeah. country. I don't, I've not seen many anywhere else, but although somebody, I actually heard somebody on a football podcast I listened to earlier on today making a good point that there are so many foreigners in Australia <laughs> that you do get a lot of different nationalities at these type of things. Like, we were on the court earlier on in the tournament, we watched Jason Kubler against Dominic Galan. And I think it was probably 50-50 between Aussies and Colombians on, <laughs> on that court. It, it was a real, real... Because every Colombian in Melbourne turned <laughs> yeah, up. Well, yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. And then there's so many Italians here. Mm. Like, the start of the week, where the Italians were going nuts. I think we watched... We watched Caboli, didn't we? And, yeah. Um, and they were going nuts at that. I mean, but even, they're also very vocal, right? Yeah. And then even Nuno last night, uh, when I watched Nuno Borges, like, there, there's a good... There's a fair few Portuguese in the crowd there. There's <laughs> one guy who was going absolutely nuts, near his towel. And I spoke with Nuno today and I said, do you know who he is? And he says, he's at all the tournaments and I have no idea who he is. He said, he, he always stands, um, and he's got, Nuno's girlfriend was telling me that this guy's been following him for about 10, about, I think he's been on the tour for about five years now. And he said, when, when he, he always brings his daughter and when he's done at the start, then they had this little baby next to him. And he said, now the daughter's about eight. <laughs> and, and like, now she's just like, looks embarrassed that her dad's just going nuts every time Nuno Borges wins a point. <laughs> but, and she said last night, there's a TV clip of the daughter telling her dad to calm down. Like, like, <laughs> um, so I, yeah, I think that's what brings a really good atmosphere to this um, tournament that you maybe don't get at the, you don't get at the French, I don't think. It's very much French and apathy for anyone else, isn't it? Whereas. <laughs> Like Wimbledon, you don't, because I mean, Wim, London is a very multicultural city, but I'm not sure that really reflects in the Wimbledon crowd. No, no, it's true. Um, and New York, again, similar, it's, it's a very pro-American crowd, yeah. isn't it? Um, yes, as I wrote in my uh, piece from the Djokovic match today, he gave them plenty of opportunity to engage in the French national pastime, booing. Um, <laughs> which yeah. it, it really is remarkable health and French. Although so, I didn't it. see any of it, but somebody said he had a go at the crowd again today, didn't yeah, he? Yeah, but I, I, like I said, I think he was just trying to fire himself up. Yeah. And, like, and like, you know, there was a group of 20 odd lads yeah. in vintage French football shirts, which are obviously great, right. yeah. um, and uh, rubber bald caps. Right, okay. Which, um, it, honestly, it was like a Calvin Beton party, to be quite <laughs> honest. Um, Definitely not Zinedine Zidane. <laughs> Definitely Calvin Beton. <laughs> um, For the but, record, um, I've never seen you and Adrian Manorino in the same room. Who did it? Somebody said to me last week, who was it? It was when I was in Thailand. Somebody said I looked like Vin Diesel. <laughs> and then somebody it's said, like, then, then an American guy came up to me and he goes, he said something like, oh, well done in uh, United Cup last week, man. <laughs> And I was like, I don't know if it was United Cup, but it was something. I was like, what are you talking about? He's like, oh, you didn't get my joke, like my Manorino joke. And I was like, yes, <laughs> we all look the same. Yes, I mean, exactly. Well, I mean, he also has sort of fashionable beard and, and fashionable baldness. <laughs> well, fashionable might not be relevant for me, but, <laughs> but at least, as look, at least he's not a bald denier. <laughs> and that's, that's, that's what we frown upon in the community. Yes. And let, let me tell you, there are a couple of players at this tournament who are. Yeah, the, the bald um, deniers are well known. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think. I, I mean, Rafa Nadal pulled out, and he's the sort of leader he's, he's, of the Yeah, I mean, that, the, 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 there's stages of bald denying, though. There's like Nadal's the, the lowest stage because he just has, he just 
doesn't seem to have realised he's bold. Right. The worst, the ones that we frown upon the most are the ones who know they're bold and they try and fix it. Ah. Uh, right? You should just, um, with either the tattoos or the hair transplants. I see. Well, the next big meeting, you can you can take notes on who's on the list and yeah. who's on the naughty list. Um, now, Novak Djokovic into his 58th Grand Slam quarterfinal, equaling Roger Federer's record. Incredibly, he's reached the quarterfinal at 58 out of his 73 Grand Slam tournaments, which is... I mean, as far as a hit rate goes, that is... I mean, it's still some way off the best, isn't it, which is Chris Everett. And you can check it now, James, while we're here. I think in Chris Everett's whole career, she only didn't make the semis four times. That, that is, I mean... It, it, which is, I, I didn't realise just... I mean, she's a little bit before my time, but I didn't realise just how good she was. I'm That's making what, a face, because... Uh, it is, One, isn't it? two, three, four. It's four times she didn't make the semi-final... Two of those times she made the quarterfinal. Yeah, that's astounding. And what are the, what's the years on that? It's something like so early seventy-one se- through eighty-nine. That's astonishing. I mean, right. it's. I mean, okay. So she didn't play the Australian a lot. Yeah. And she missed a few French, but that's still a hell yeah, yeah. of a lot of tournaments. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I and mean, that's yeah. still fifty-six. I think what impressed me most about that record, what she had, is that the is that the career went that long. So she was she was very young at the start and mm. quite old later on mm. so yeah just astonishing stuff yeah remarkable I think Chris Abbott is one of those people who gets kind of forgotten yeah like, yeah I like, guess she kind of kept herself to you know it was although she was having said that she was a total superstar mm. in her prime she was married to <laughs> Jimmy Connors and obviously John Lloyd as well wasn't yeah, she yeah yeah I'd quite forgotten she was married to John Lloyd um but yeah, I just I feel like whenever we talk about the greats of the game, you know, yeah. in the women's game, we talk about Billie Jean King and Lover, yeah. and somehow Everett's name never yeah, quite comes absolutely. into it. Absolutely, but absolutely should. Um, anyway, we've got distracted uh, from Novak Djokovic, who's going to face Taylor Fritz in the quarterfinal. He beat Stefano Tsitsipas in four sets. Stefano Tsitsipas is going to drop at least a tenth in the world as a result of this tournament. Fritz and Hercatch both overtaking him. If Dumanur wins tonight, which uh, it looks like he's not going to, but it's possible. Um, then he may overtake him as well. He's a set down um, 2-1 in the second as we speak. I mean, Stefan Sitzpass has just, he's just had a... Since, basically since reaching the Australian Open final, he's not had a yeah, great but even months. That was a bit out of the blue even when he reached the final, wasn't it, last year? It, mm. wasn't like, it wasn't like anyone thought it was going to happen that he was on great form, but I think it's like... I think this is probably about right. He's not, he's not been better than the 10th best player in the world for some time. I mean, I still think he's a little bit overranked on form at that. Mm. Yeah, I, I suppose... He's got an advantage in that he's a bit of an all-court player. Like he plays well on clay, plays well on the slow yeah, yeah. hard court and fast hard court. So it keeps him relatively high. But I, I don't know what he needs to do to, to make a jump to the next level because he he will certainly not think that losing to Taylor Fritz in the fourth round of a Grand Slam is his level. No, I mean I, I mean what he needs to do is get an actual tennis coach. <laughs> that I keep saying that, but that would actually help him. And I mean it just doesn't. You don't want to. I don't want to sound like you know like Roy Keane here and that kind of thing but I've been around the tournament it just seems a little he seems like he's a little bit comfortable with not being that successful mm. when he's here he seems to be and look for quality of life and that kind of thing he seems really happy travelling the world with his girlfriend and his brother and his dad and a couple of mates who seem to be some sort of fitness coaches or that kind of thing sure but you know and you might you know you might go why not you know he's he's young like, why not enjoy yourself like that? He's happy. He seems happy with the rest of his life. But if we're talking strictly about the tennis, I'm not sure that is entirely conducive to doing that. Like, mm. you know, one of the things is he plays doubles every week with his brother. And 
I don't see how you can be successful at singles if you're playing doubles every week. Especially, I mean, not not that they don't take it seriously, but you know he's not playing with his brother because that's the best possible doubles no, partner. No, no. Like it, it, it's not yeah. an entirely serious endeavour. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, do, I do take your point there. Um, but anyway, it means that Taylor Fritz is into the Australian Open quarterfinal. His consistency at Grand Slams goes on. He's got a terrible head-to-head record, Novak Djokovic, having lost eight of their all eight of their meetings. He's won two sets against him. They both came in here actually in a five-setter when Novak had an abdominal problem. Um, do you give Taylor Fritz any... Has he got something different for him this time? I don't think so, no. I think the best chance he had was, was it two years ago when he played three him Three years ago. Three years ago, wow. Um, yeah, three years ago when he played him here when Djokovic had, I don't know, was that the year when he had the seven-metre tear, tear in his ab, in his ab <laughs> that somehow he managed to come through? Uh, exactly. Um, the one... I mean, I'm going to read you some quotes from Nick Kyrgios, Calvin, which you're going to love... Um, he says, me and Taylor are really good mates. Uh, I try and help him out as much as I can. We go back and forth on messages a lot on Instagram. I tell him to come forward because his ground strokes are so big. He needs to be able to come forward and put those volleys away. He's really struggled against that matchup against Novak in the past because he isn't that comfortable moving forward. Do you, do you think that's that valid tactical advice? No, because he can't volley. <laughs> like, he's just not very good at volley. It's all right saying come forward, but Taylor Fritz... I mean, I, I was talking with a few players the other day and we were talking about the worst volleyers in the top 200 and obviously everybody knows who my shout is yeah. and Taylor Fritz was one of the names that the players all mentioned mm. as, as the worst volleyers in the top 200 so. uh, on that I mean I was listening to some commentary the other day and a good point made by I think it was Laura Robson in the end said that when Sabalenka won a load of double titles she actually didn't you know people always say if you want to get better at volleying do doubles and actually when she played doubles she didn't do a lot of volleying yeah. at least Mertens is very active in the net and Sabalenka won on serve and return is it as simple as for someone like Taylor Fritz go and play a bit of doubles? I, I don't necessarily think so. No, um, not anymore. Because I mean, for one, like now, fifty-five percent of the the men's top one hundred doubles that serve and stay back, mm. um, and also it's different type of volleying. Like we're now at the the stage. Like now, we we work on a different type of technique for doubles volleying than you do for singles volleying. Cause it's different type of thing now what it would improve is like feel around the net like just just hands and that kind of thing yeah. but it's it, it's totally different you're not approach approaching the net with a ground stroke okay. so much and the footwork pattern is different and you'd play different volleys in doubles than you would in singles so mm. like i say yeah it would it would imp- it would work on improve your feel but what you're actually probably better off doing is getting a coach who knows how to teach a volley which there are from, from, I mean, there are a lot of them around. There aren't many of them around on the, the men's professional tennis circuit or the women's, to be fair, because mm. the, the teaching of volleys that I see around these tournaments is terrible. Mm. Um, I've had a question from a listener sitting in my inbox for a while that I'm going to finally get into the open uh, that I know I've sent to you earlier, Calvin, and you're going to go and spend some time watching Alex Dillon later, so perhaps your opinion will change on this. But... Um, Caitlin on email says hi guys I've been listening to you for almost a year and I love your tennis analysis and discussions however I just had one thing I wanted your opinion on as an Australian I'm a diehard Alex de Manure fan as such my family and I were over the moon with his United Cup run particularly when he beat Alexander Zverev to crack the top 10 uh, I know Calvin doesn't have the highest opinion of his tennis but I wanted to hear you guys talk some more about his achievement how he did it and what has led to his becoming world number 10 I love the podcast so much. Thank you for what you're doing. Can't wait to hear your AO pods. Well, I hope you're enjoying them, Caitlin. 
Calvin, how, how is Alex Demonoa going to the world's top ten? I mean, it's a bit harsh. I don't have the highest opinion of his ten. I mean, I, I don't know if it's harsh. I, I, I don't really, but... Um, <laughs> no, I think, I think what he's achieved is excellent with, with what he's got. I just don't think he's got a great deal. I, I, the things what I will say is I, I think he is the fastest player that's ever played the game. I think around a tennis court, I've, I don't think I've ever seen anybody faster. And I include in that every, like Michael Chang and all those guys who were, were rapid round the court. But I don't think I've ever seen anyone quicker than Alex Dimonor, which is, you know, that, that is his biggest strength. And also, he competes very well and he doesn't miss a whole lot of balls. Um, so that, if you combine all those type of things together, you have to be a very, very good player to beat him. Now, his problem comes in that he really struggles to hit through players and when he needs to attack a bit more, when he needs to do more than just not make balls mm. and the other guys can hit through him and, and, and get through him that way. He does have, he has a unique forehand. He, he is very flat with a bit of a strange grip. Now, certain players can exploit that. If, if a player has a good slice, they can exploit it because he can't really do anything. He has to hit it upwards and he doesn't hit with much topspin. So when you look at the guys who he plays with really good slicers like I know he has a terrible record against Dan Evans mm. who's just going to who's going to keep making him hit short slicers all the time and I think that's where he struggles but you've got to give him credit he's he he's certainly I think he'll hang around for a bit longer I do think he's on on the minute I th- at the minute I think he's he's on a particularly good bit of form rather than he's gone up a level with his tennis I I think he's probably somewhere between I'd say some in, in in actual terms. I'd say somewhere between the twenty fifth and the fifteenth best player in the world. Hmm. If you're looking at areas of game that you would like to improve, or if you you know if you if you got the job and they said, well, what, what are we really going to work on? What, what do you think? You'd... I, I think it's one of those. I, I don't know. There's much you can improve with him. I think he's currently just. I think he really is maxing what he's got, and it's one of those. It seems a bit silly, but you've just got to kind of hope the draws open up and not open up, but he gets the type of opponent who who he likes to play and he avoids the ones who he doesn't in the biggest tournaments mm. so it's not something that I would think I'm sure that you know I, and I, I, as a coach I'll always say this to all the players that ever approach me and I've, I've turned players down and that kind of thing if I don't see something that I can improve I won't coach them and with Alex Dimonor it, it, it would be a, a, along those lines I think that's why he turned down that Federer job so many times that's right? the one yes yeah. yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Um, right, a couple more things I want to look at. Just just three three round four matches tomorrow that I think are worth our time. Um, Norrie versus Verev, I mean, we kind of touched on this the other day, but have you had any more thoughts, any more chances for, for Cam Norrie to, to unpick Alexander Zverev? Um, I don't, but then again, I didn't think he'd beat Kaspar Ruud. Um, <laughs> although, saying that, you put me off that, actually, James, because I thought that like he actually matched it well to Ruud, and then you said, no, nah, Ruud always batters him. So, I... I, I, I I thought he also would struggle against Zepieri, which he did, to be fair, but mm. he, he came through that. So. And actually, in, uh, for the purposes of the tape, you did say off-podcast that you thought Cam's forehand to Casper's to crap backhand yeah. sort of words to those. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's effect. true. Yeah. And that is exactly how it played out. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I, I think the opposite with Zverev, that's the problem, I think, yeah. that he's, he's his best... It's not really a... It is a weapon, but it's... Because it's, it's hard to say a weapon when it's not hit that hard, really. Yeah. Um, is is right into Zverev's wheelhouse. Yeah. If it was the other way round, if he had like a heavy forehand into Zverev's forehand, I'd be like, okay, this could be interesting. Mm. But um, yeah, unfortunately, Zverev's playing very well. Yeah. Um, 
Her catch versus Arthur Kazoo. Now, Kazoo, you kind of mentioned Kazoo the other day. His, his serving stats are quite remarkable. I heard um, Matt on the tennis podcast the other day say he's maximising his serve pretty impressively. Does feel that way? I mean, does that feel like a there's a mean reversion due? It can't continue. I, I think so. Yeah. I mean, I don't think I think he's a very good player, Arthur Kazoo, but I, I don't think he's the second best server left in the tournament, which <laughs> is what the stats suggest, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. I mean, yeah, Rublev being the uh, the most effective. I don't server. think Rublev's the best server in the tournament <laughs> either. Uh, but so you think Hercatch just has too much for him? I think so, yeah. Although Hercatch does have these strange results at times, mm. where you know you think he's ready to make the move, and and he just it just doesn't happen for him. Um, but I don't. I was I tell you something I'm surprised that was with Hercatch was that I saw earlier that um, he's at career high now, number nine. I was surprised he'd not been higher than that. I am also surprised at that. He's eighth in the race as well. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I suppose like I thought he'd been many... like five or six. So you know, for a, he won Miami or yeah, that, didn't he? But surprised <sighs> he'd never been higher than nine. I suppose he's never really had massive results at Grand Slams. He got yeah, to Wimbledon yeah. semi-final once. It's, it was more not on his results. It's more he just I've, whenever I looked at the rankings, he seems to have been there. Maybe he's been nine or maybe he's been nine quite a, a lot. bit. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> quite possibly. Yeah. Um, and then finally, how many games do you give Mihomir Ketsmanovic against Alcaraz? Um, I don't think it'd be a complete duffing because like Ketsmanovic battles well. Mm. I, I think Alcaraz will beat him, but I can see that being a. Three, three, and four, mm. maybe something like that. Mm. Which, I mean, on paper, that is a duffing, right? No, we, well, we say that a two set. I, I know that the UTR system, which is the rating system, they say a competitive tennis match, and this is best of three. Yeah. They say competitive tennis match is when the loser wins seven games. So. So three and four. So three and four. So three, three, and four would would be just about that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Hanging on. Yeah, I would say that because that could be one break in each set. I think that's competitive. Yeah, fine. Um, well, Kevin, it's been a pleasure doing some actual in-person podcasts with you um, all the way around the world. It's been great not to have talked to George for a whole week. Uh, I will get him back on uh, later as we get closer to... <laughs> oh, and you've got a lanyard story that I was I supposed do, to ask you about. I, I do. And this is I wanted to tell this on the podcast. I was amazed at this. So, And people might be interested or might not. So... When I came on the grounds today, so for, for anyone who doesn't know, like when the coach is here, we get a lanyard uh, that, sh- that allows you into certain areas. It has like which, which areas you're allowed in and you can go in any of the entrances or out there, any of the exits, that kind of thing. Now, it's supposed to, in theory, go around your neck, but no one ever wears it around their neck, although you do you have yes, yours. Yes, I do, because um, otherwise I will lose it. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm quite... I'm, I, I lose everything except for my lanyard, really. Although I did lose my US Open one. Um, <laughs> which was There's the, a lesson here, which was Calvin. the last slam. So, <laughs> um, but, um, so anyway, today I went for a walk down the river and I came... And this is, uh, this is one of the gripes I have with the Australian Open that's come on the last day. So yesterday, today I went for a walk down the river, um, River Yarra, and then walked back and you can come in through the the first entrance is the fan entrance which is about a 15 minute walk then to the ground you they scan you they search your bag and scan your tickets oh over by the city yeah yeah you come come in there so i've I've come in with my small bag i just had a small bag today with my water bottle and a bit of sun cream in there um and my lanyard was in there so i come in and they scan it they they search my bag scan my lanyard and the security guard comes up to me goes um you need to wear your. Uh, you need to put your, your lanyard around your neck. And I was sort of like, I thought he was a bit aggressive. And I was like, yeah, I will do. 
when I get in. And he goes, you need to put it in now. You need to put it on now. <laughs> and I said, and then, like, I mean, I'm not going to do... <laughs> he was very aggressive. So I said, I will do when I get in. So I started walking, right? And the security guard then proceeds to follow me. I didn't realise he was following me. But then there's a, big, there's a big sort of sculpture that says, welcome to Melbourne. So I thought I'd get a picture of that. So this was about three minutes into the walk. So I t- turn around to put a picture in it, and he puts his hand in front of my phone. <laughs> and he goes, you need to put the lanyard around your neck immediately. <laughs> and I said, wait a minute. Right, I'm not trying to get in anywhere. Yeah, you're in a public area. Yeah, I said, I'm not trying to get in anywhere. If I had come in here with a ticket on my phone, you wouldn't make me walk around displaying my ticket all the time. I said, I'm not trying to get in anywhere. He said, you need to put like, your lanyard on immediately. I was like, I'll put it in when I get, I'll put it on when I get where I'm trying to get in somewhere. So then, he then he gets on the, his radio, and there's that radio in Security Central. And there's a gentleman called Calvin Betton who refuses to put his lanyard on. Right, and then I just, I just I shut my head and started walking, and I noticed he followed me the full 15-minute walk into the ground, and he followed me. We're, we're sat in Rod Laver now. He followed me into Rod Laver, and then, he, then we were met by the head of security <laughs> there. And I said to him, and, and he said, the head of security was, was a reasonable money. He said, what's the problem? I said, I said, right, my question is to you this, right, why do you have security guards? And he goes, well, you know, it's quite obvious. And I said, right, because this gentleman has left his post and followed me for 15 minutes, and I can't really understand what the worst case scenario would be if I didn't put my lanyard on. <laughs> And he's like, yeah, and I, I, I kind of know, and I know what you're saying, but it's a rule that everyone has to wear them around the neck, so you are going to have to put it around your neck. And I said to him, I was like, right, I'm going to go to the player's restaurant where you need your lanyard to get in. If more than 1% of the people in there have got their lanyards around their neck, I will give you both $100. <laughs> and he's like, there's no need to be sarcastic with that kind of thing. I was like, look. I'm not being sarcastic. I'm not being sarcastic. I'm like, if you want me to put it around my neck, I'll put it around my neck. I said, what I don't understand is why I had to put it around my neck while I'm just walking through a park <laughs> and, and what the worst case scenario would be if I didn't have it around my neck. So, yeah. That what, was... what you've got there, Calvin, is very lucky because what you've managed to do is spend two weeks in Australia without ever having come across this level of officiousness that is yeah. just a hallmark of my visits to Australia. <laughs> it, See, I didn't, I didn't realise that because, uh, to be honest, it. like I mean, they... they I, no one wears their lanyards around there because I'd say the main reason why we don't wear them here is because it's they're just they're just itchy on your neck. It's yeah. so hot here, and you know it's like so everyone just has them in their pocket and you flash it. I mean, the worst thing about it as well, James, is now they've got this really good system here where you actually don't have to show it because it, it's it's chipped. It picks it up as you it come. It picks in. it up as you walk everywhere, so it'll just it'll just flash if somebody has walked through without a lanyard in their pocket. So mm. you don't actually need it even even on your being but this this security guard was adamant that while i was walking through the park i needed to wear my lanyard well i'm almost glad calvin that it's finally <laughs> caught up with you uh spending that long in australia um thank you very much for listening as always please leave us a rating or review wherever you get your podcast we really appreciate it um get in touch on email tennisunfiltered at gmail.com with questions for george or calvin or me um and most importantly please do come back tomorrow sports social podcast network Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. 
Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.